Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Burnout is a topic that I feel like is tossed around a lot in media, but I have a question for you to ponder. Do you know what the signs are of burnout? And maybe even more importantly, do you know what to do if you are starting to feel like you're creeping toward the edge of burnout? Or maybe you're even already there. So let's talk about how to spot it and then what to do if it's invading your life and your happiness. So this time of year, I keep reminiscing on my bed rest experience because all these things like pulling out the Christmas decorations and making lists of lists of groceries that we need keep reminding me of what it was like to sit on that bed for six months. And it actually was a really joyful time. Like the holidays made it go really fast. Do you remember? Yeah. No, I do remember that very well. <laughs> the first three months were brutal. Like. I remember September, August, September, October felt like the longest months of my whole entire life because I was just stuck and it was like super warm out. People were like outside enjoying things and I was stuck in bed. But then finally after Halloween, I remember once the holidays hit, it was like we just were on a fast track to getting baby here and experienced so many miracles and cool things. But one of the things that I've been wanting to podcast about because it was astounding to me how often I heard this was the response that so many women had to me about being on bed rest. So, so many of my friends, so many women, I mean, personal friends, people on Instagram kept saying the same thing over and over to me, which was, wow, that sounds kind of dreamy being on bed rest. Like, that actually sounds like a vacation. Different iterations and forms of this, like, wow, that sounds so nice, actually. And A, my response in the moment was, yeah, it's not that fun. Like, it's fun for a couple days, and then you're bored out of your mind and tired of being chained to your bed. Like, it's fun until it's not fun, and it gets not fun really fast. But more importantly than that, because whatever, that was my reality and not theirs, more importantly, though, is what that statement says to me about a woman or a man, I guess, who says that. But mostly it was women who were saying that to me. And what that says to me is, if it sounds dreamy to you to sit in bed and do nothing, then you're probably burned out. And so many people I know also have fantasies about like, I mean, this is kind of sounds messed up, but I know it happens to people. They will fantasize about getting in a car accident or having something happen where then they end up in the hospital and they can't do any of the things that they normally feel like they have to do and they just have to sit there and rest and recover. If you are feeling that way or if that has crossed your mind, I don't want you to feel shame about it at all. But I think that there's a real thing here that we need to talk about, and that is burnout. So we're going to just fully flush this out today, unpack it, and give you some really great solutions too. So number one, 
The definition of burnout, this is from the World Health Organization. This is their classification of burnout. Feelings of energy depletion or exhaustion, increased mental distance from one's job, feelings of negativism or cynicism related to one's job, and reduced professional efficacy. So, I mean, a lot of that sounds like it's related to your job, burnout in your job, but I know people feel burnout overall, like just complete overwhelm in their life in general, right? Yeah. I mean, I think especially probably for a young mom always comes to comes to mind when you think of someone who's burned out, like you're up with, in the middle of the night with kids. Yes. And then you're taking, maybe you've got more than one kid. And so you're taking care of other kids throughout the day, running them around. And then you're taking care of a new baby. I watched you go through that. And then on top of that, with a business, which a lot of moms have a side hustle or a part-time job or a full-time job even, and they're just on maternity leave, then they come back. So that's a lot to deal with when you're coupling all these things together and especially being sleep deprived too. Oh you, my gosh, yeah. Factor that into, you know, I think I remember with our first, with Annabelle, with our, mm-hmm. our first kid, first baby, there was a point where both of us were kind of working the night shift and, and alternating back and forth a little bit. But I remember a point where both of us were just so fried and just burned out. So that's the example that comes to mind when I think of that. And there's a lot of people in that situation. Yeah. And you hit the nail on the head. Not enough sleep is one of the most common causes of burnout, but also an excessive workload, lack of social support, lack of control, perfectionism, being an overachiever. All of these things can contribute to burnout. But I feel like most people that I know, and when I've experienced this myself, it's not one thing. It's a combination of so many things getting out of control in your life. And I really think that that sleep deprivation can heighten everything else. Like everything feels really, really hard when you're sleep deprived. This was, I thought this was a really good quotation. Michael Gunger said, burnout is what happens when you try to avoid being human for too long. And I think it's almost kind of championed in our culture and our society of being a super mom or how do you do it all or taking on so much. And I think instead of making that seem like the glamorous culmination of a good mom, we need to step back and say like, wait a minute, what are we doing? Are we really trying to make that the goal is a mom that does everything? Because a mom that does everything at some point will be able to do absolutely nothing because she'll hit a breaking point. So some of the symptoms and signs of burnout that these are kind of like the clinical ones are chronic fatigue, like you were just talking about, illness. I think people start getting sick when they're not taking care of themselves emotionally and physically. Emotional symptoms like a feeling of doom or failure or detachment from family and not like the healthy detachment that I talk about in Becoming Coda Free, but detachment as in they seem really removed. What's that word that addicts like to do? They like isolate. Isolating, withdrawing from others, taking frustration out on people. I know some moms, and I've for sure been here too, that their burnout comes out in rage, right? Like you just can't take one more thing and then like one little thing completely sets you off. I have definitely been there before. But these are some of the signs. If you're listening to this and you're like, dang, that is me. Don't feel bad. This isn't for me. 
for me, I don't want you to hear this and be like, oh my gosh, I am doing all those things. I am failing. The whole point of this is to give you some hope, give you some ideas. So we will get to the solution part of this. But one other important thing is to just talk about how this affects people and their overall health. I'm not an expert in health by any means. I'm not a doctor or a therapist or a psychiatrist or anything, but there's so much research, so much that talks about health problems being related to stress. And stress is basically burnout, right? Like that's, it's kind of one and the same. So heart disease, high blood pressure, mental health issues like depression and anxiety, these are all things that can result from being overworked and burned out and not taking care of yourself. So we just talked about moms, but Neil, where have you seen this with other addicts that you're friends with or that you've sponsored or even in yourself? Well, I think people in general, I mean, yeah, addicts myself and people around me, it is really, really fascinating when you get into kind of the recovery process. Like when I got into recovery, I had a lot of preconceived notions or generalizations that I'm like, oh yeah, this, the world is just kind of like this. And a lot of it was just kind of the, these, some of these ideals of like achieve greatness in everything. And you're always striving for that. That's not a bad thing. But I think that a lot of the people that I look to that were highly, highly successful in one area or did really big things, it was kind of like really eye-opening to see that other areas of their life were like completely coming unwound. And a lot of people who I kind of was surrounded by or saw in different meetings who were on the outside, like really highly successful, high achieving people, when you got them in a room where they were being honest and just sharing where they were at and coming from, one, it was like, man, we're all way more alike than we are all, than we're different. But then two, you realize that there's oftentimes there was like an imbalance where it was like all of the effort, all of the energies were going into the profession and they were so awesome in this area and achieving all these great things. But then family life was like wrecked or non-existent or relationships were falling apart. So that was really eye-opening for me to see Mm -hmm. that and see like how the imbalance can affect that. And I saw it in myself. I saw... I would put so much of an emphasis, so much of focus on on my job or my career or on getting ahead in some ways. But then to manage that, to balance it out and like cope with the stresses of life, then it, you turn to addictions. You turn to substances or, or, you know, drugs, alcohol, whatever. So there's got to be, without that element of balance, then yeah, there's got to be some type of a something that you're doing to cope. And I remember when you decided, okay, enough is enough. I'm really going to prioritize recovery and put recovery first. Your life had to start looking completely different from the way it looked like when we were dating. And I remember you had to kind of slow down and just operate on a different, like slower and more intentional level than this like kind of flighty, like running around, control release, like do, do, do. And then like, overload of stress and then the addiction was like your release yeah so control 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 release and then i watched you as you let go of that and you started to live a different lifestyle 
it was like, oh, the only way I can do this is if I slow the heck down. Yeah. No, and I and I think for me it was it was hard to do that because I was in sales. I think sales is a tough spot because it almost for me it like engendered that where I, where it was like, all right, let's get like hyped up, hammered, you know, fired up, excited. Let's all out control, control, sell, sell, sell. Like go out, hustle, 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 and then okay, release, and then like turn to an addiction and release. And I think a lot of the sales, different industries have different ways of like almost contributing to this, to where you go out and you sell, 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 sell. And then there's just kind of a relief phase or like after work, like, Hey, let's go hit the bar. Or I saw a lot of people do that. For me, one of the challenges of that situation was like my sales dropped. I wasn't as, as effective, like professionally. And my boss noticed it. He's like, Hey, what's going on? Because I'd gotten into recovery and I was trying to take time to like do dailies and and read scriptures and like have this really different start to the day and not be so control release about it. So it was tough because on one side, like the world was telling me like push harder, hammer harder, sell more, be more effective. And I knew kind of how to do that. But doing that, it was almost like a breaker switch. Like if I pushed too hard, it was like, boom, the, the, the breaker would trip. And then it was like, okay, release, go and act out and go and engage in your addiction to be able to like offset that, if that makes sense. Yes. Well, let's get into some of the solutions that I talked about, because this is really like where the meat is of this episode and the most important part of it. Because I think most people who are burned out, they kind of know it. So even though, you know, we can talk about these signs and symptoms and whatever's, but you probably know if you're one of those burned out people who's like, gosh, bed rest sounds like a dream, (laughs) which I promise you it's not. But I put together this little acronym because I think acronyms are great because it helps you remember things. So hopefully you'll remember this, but the acronym is PASS. So we're going to pass on burnout and this is how we're going to do it. So the number one thing that I have found, this is just me, this is my own experience But the number one thing that I have found with dealing with burnout and just looking, for me, the list never goes away. Like the list of five kids owning a business, now trying to run almost like two businesses with Coda Free and Mint Arrow and all and a church calling and all the things that we do in this podcast and whatever. My number one thing is to put God first. So that's the P in PASS. And this is something that I remember our friend Angie, who was on the podcast, I remember her teaching like a Sunday school lesson in church one one week. And this was back when we were dating. And she talked about this really hard time in life where she was like in her master's program. And then she had this hugely demanding church calling. I think she was the Relief Society president, which means you're in charge of all of the women in your congregation. and. I mean, she just had like multiple things where if you heard it, you were just like, what? Like, how did you do all of that? And she talked about how she put God first and that I think she was given a promise, like in a blessing, that if she would put God first, that he would help her do all the things. And so she just like bore testimony of that. And I remember feeling what she, so I don't remember exactly what she said, like her exact words, but I remember feeling that and almost like this message that the spirit sent me, like, remember this because you're going to need it. You're going to need to remember how to do this. 
So I've applied that so many times. And even last week, I remember feeling a little bit buried because I had a list that was just like 300 miles long, it felt like. And I kept saying, okay, put God first. Like if I put God first, I read my scriptures, I try to dial in, I try to get you know, validation from God, I try to seek like whatever He needs me to do. And then I almost feel like it's like a highlighter in on the list is like, do this first or talk to this person or prioritize this. And then somehow the most important things get done. And then the things that don't get done, a lot of times I look at it and I'm like, oh, that didn't matter or that could wait another day. But here's a couple of really cool quotations that go with this. So first one is, I was Ezra Taft Benson in 1988. This is a talk entitled The Great Commandment, Love the Lord. And he said, when we put God first, all other things fall into their proper place or drop out of our lives. Our love of the Lord will govern the claims for our affection, the demands of our time, the interests we pursue, and the order of our priorities. We should put God ahead of everyone else in our lives. And that's so good to me, like how he says, like, everything will fall into their proper place or drop out of our lives. And I have seen that even in this last year of trying to implement new programs and add new things. And Coda Free was not even on the game plan when we went into 2023. It was just something that appeared in the middle of the year that it was like, okay, I really feel like God's calling me to do this. So how am I going to fit it in? And a lot of things fell out of place. And as I... and. I mean, I've never read this before today, before I was researching to get ready for this episode. But honestly, like when when I was praying and going to the temple at the very beginning of this year, when after I had Bobby and we started going back weekly, the inspiration that I kept getting from the Holy Ghost over and over was let things fall into their proper place. So it's so interesting to me to now read these words from a leader in our church who I believe was a prophet of God, where he says, like, when we put God first, all other things fall into their proper place or drop out of our lives. That's such a cool concept to me. And I have seen it happen literally right before my eyes this year. The other one that is so good is from our current leader in our church, Russell M. Nelson. And he gave a talk to primarily people who are not married in our church. So they're looking for direction on like, what career am I going to have and who should I marry and how should I set up my the whole rest of my life? That's kind of like the zone that they're typically in if you're in that young single adult group. And so in this talk, he says, this is October 2016, I promise you that as you consistently give the Lord a generous portion of your time, he will multiply the remainder. Like how cool is that? You give the Lord a generous portion of your time, he will multiply whatever's left over. That's such a cool idea to me. And it also has been so true in so many ways. Like I remember when we started to go to the temple weekly, that was the year that Dave died, 2019. And I set this goal three weeks before Dave died. And I remember being like, how are we going to fit this in? But I kind of looked at our schedule and we had a nanny and she only came half days on Fridays. And I was like, well, I think if we give up that morning spot half days on Fridays to go to the temple, then probably we'll we'll be able to be more efficient in the other four days that we have during the work week. It was honestly a temptation after Dave died. I remember it kind of felt like if anybody's been through a death, all of a sudden, all of the silly things or unimportant things 
go away and you kind of just have to get down to bare bones. And I canceled business trips and I really eliminated a lot of things. And I was tempted to eliminate the temple because it felt like this is a really lofty goal for us to start doing when we're in the middle of a crisis, like a very fresh brand new crisis. And I remember feeling the spirit saying, no, like you need to stick to this. This is what's going to get you through. We did that. And I, I look back at that year and I'm like, I think that was for me a key to being able to survive, like being in that holy place where I could listen to God and connect with him and meditate and be away from the world was more important. Like I can't overstate how important that was, at least for me in that just not just healing, but like survival year. So I have seen this where we gave a generous portion of our time in a five-day work week. We gave half of day five and really the only half that we could work on day five. So eliminated one work day to be able to go to the temple. And I feel like it made it so that we could get through all the other stuff and survive. But where have you seen this happen in your life? Because I'm seeing you nod as I'm reading these yeah. quotations. No, absolutely. I think that it's it's kind of a principle that I've found for myself in my own spirituality is like when I put the focus on establishing and maintaining a like connection with God and trying to be plugged into that and tapped into that and then being willing to take action. And a lot of times that has to do with service to others or in some way, shape or form, which that's what like the temple attendance is all about is like you're going to First, you go through for yourself, and then and then after that, you go through on behalf of people who have passed on, and so you're doing, you know, work for them. So it's a form of service. But when I do that, a lot of times, I don't know. I, I feel like God's currency is is more about love and service than than anything else. When you're acting in that currency, like everything else falls into place, and I find that I'm a lot more efficient and can differentiate between what matters and what doesn't and like eliminating the things that don't matter. But then I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm way more effective in doing the things that must be done. Like I'm way better at them and I can do them in half the time or I'm like, whoa, this is almost like it's, this is easy. It's yeah. weird. Amen. Me too. Okay, in my acronym PASS, the next one, the A, stands for ask for or accept support. And I flash back to my memory and experience of going through just absolutely debilitating postpartum depression with Harry, which we've talked about on the podcast before in multiple episodes. But that was such a, like, for me, soul-crushing time to feel like I'm this highly productive person who did not have the energy to even get out of bed and feed myself a lot of days. Like Neil would bring a piece of toast up to me in bed because I just dreaded even like getting out of bed to do like the most basic things. The reason why I'm bringing this up is I remember when I talked to my doctor, when I talked to the psychiatrist, when I talked to my therapist, they all were asking this same question, which was, what does your support look like at home? How much support do you have right now? And this isn't what they meant, but in my like not well mind at that point, 
that question translated to me, how much are you dropping the ball right now? How, how much are you not doing that other people are having to pick up the slack for? Like, what are you failing in that you need other people to do for you? Like, that was my messed up mind's way of feeling shame and embarrassment when people said, how much support do you have? And what they meant was like, you shouldn't try to do all of this alone. You're feeding a newborn. You're up in the middle of the night. You've got other kids. You've got this business that you own. Are you trying to do this all by yourself? And I think as women, sometimes probably men too, but we can feel this shame of like, oh my gosh, it's embarrassing if I'm not doing all the things by myself. And I promise you that when you accept or you ask for help, it's not a mark of weakness. It's, in my opinion, it's a signal of strength that you realize that, oh, I'm going to be better if I allow other people to help me. Like that's going to allow me to do what I am doing a lot better than if I try to spread myself so thin that eventually I'm going to just completely run out of gas. I remember my therapist would tell me like, Corinne, right now, you have a very small gas tank, okay? With your condition, with postpartum depression, you only have this small, small gas tank. So you have to be super wise in the way that you utilize that gas tank as your, you have to feed the baby because right at that point, I was the baby's only source of food. So you got to feed the baby. And in order to feed the baby, you have to feed yourself. You have to, at the time, I still was like, the face of our business and doing a lot of the things with work. So I was like, okay, in order for my family to eat too, I have to make sure that I'm showing up at least at a minimum in these few ways to make sure that our business still runs. So she was like, you got to do these two or three things first and then everything else comes later. So if that means that you can't say yes to a new work project or you can't make a homemade thing for this event that you're attending or whatever, you've got to have the strength to say no to these things or ask for help with other things so that you can work with your very small gas tank and get only the most important things done first. And there was a lot of shame in that at first. I remember having to hire like a second, not a second nanny, well, kind of, I guess. There was a second girl that we hired to come over and help in some additional hours with our other kids because Harry was our fourth baby. So we had three other kids and it was summertime. So at home, I remember we had, we hired this cute girl, Addison, and I was so embarrassed to have her in our home because I felt like such a mess and I was embarrassed for her to see how much of a mess I was. But it was more important to me to make sure that my kids and my family were taken care of while I was just not, I did not have the capacity to show up and like play with one of my kids or make dinner. And I look back at that and I'm like, I'm so proud of myself for being like stepping over that shame and going to the solution and saying, it's more important for me to take care of my family than to worry about how this looks or what other people will think of me. Funny thing is too, I'm I don't think anybody judged me for that, first of all. And second of all, if they did, it's none of my business. It doesn't matter. But in the moment, I think at these like peak heights of burnout, for me at least, I also feel like extreme shame for it's it's like that. It's like a ball of all the things of I'm trying super hard to do all the things. I'm burning out. I'm not good enough. Therefore, asking for more help just feels like even more of a failure. 
And I'm here to tell you it's the opposite. You ask for help and you're immediately going to start feeling like the things that you are doing, you have more capacity to do them. You're not failing. So when people offer help, say yes. Like I remember this girl talking about when she had twins and another twin mom told her, the only thing I want you to remember is when people offer to help you, say yes every time. Even if you feel embarrassed, even if you feel like, no, I I could do that myself. Just say yes. Say yes to every offer that you get. And as I've gotten better at saying yes, I feel like not only does it allow other people to, it's, it's cool. Like it gives them an opportunity to serve. You get deeper relationships with those people who love you and want to help you. And then you're also able to show up better for the other things that you're doing in life. So accept help, ask for help. And I mean, how does this apply to you, Neil? Because I feel like this is a, this is a thing too for addicts. Well, yeah, it's hard. I, I have, I'm laughing because I'm just immediately thought of the story. Like this was a recent thing too. I was trying to move a big giant like wall oh my unit. Gosh. And it, I mean, this thing's enormous. Like it, even just looking at it, it's, it's one of those like cupboards on both sides. And then in the middle, you could put like a flat screen TV if you needed to. And then underneath there's like room for a media console. This thing's like, I don't know, six foot by 10 feet. Uh, you know, huge wall unit. And I'm like, you I could think fit I like could four do this. grown men inside of this thing. It's yeah. that big. It's like meant to go on an entire wall and house like all your media equipment and it's flat screen TV and like decor on both sides. But surprisingly lightish for that type of a thing. And I could pick it up like half of it. So I'm like, okay, I want this thing. It's on the main level of our house. I want it to go upstairs. And I'm just, I'm the type of guy when I decide I want something to happen, I'm like, I just want this thing to go now. Like, let's just do this, especially if it's moving something. So I'm like, you know, I think I can do this. I start moving this wall unit and Corinne has a picture of this, I think somewhere, but. No, I have a video yelling at you. I'm like, what what are you doing? I'm moving this thing and I get it like halfway up the stairs. So I'm like, I got it. And then I get to a point where literally I'm like, this is dumb. Like I cannot go any further. This was a dumb idea. Why did I do this? Now I'm halfway up the stairs and I've got this humongous wall unit that's about to like fall back down the stairs. And I'm just sitting there. Our little kids are like crawling underneath My kids it. are like, everyone's like, what are you doing? I call a couple of my, my neighbors. I'm like, hey dude, just, just come over. <laughs> and so can you help me move something? They come through the door and they're just like, what is going on? Like, this is so... This is just, they don't know what to think. So they help me. We move it up. No big deal. But point being, I think for me, is there are moments where it's like, man, you just have to call. I've done the same thing before with a flat screen TV as well. Hang, trying to hang a huge like flat screen TV by myself and getting in a bad spot and then having to call a neighbor. I don't know why I keep doing this. But point being is like, yeah, there are a lot of times where you just have to have someone help you. Like, it's just a fact. You can't do certain things by yourself. The proud, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do it by myself. I don't need anybody's help. Like, that'll get you so far. And maybe in certain instances, like, okay, yeah, like, good job. That's cool. But in a lot of instances, it's like, there's there's a, a fine line between just being extremely unintelligent, like <laughs> my case, and then just being 
okay, I'm going to take action and make an effort and I can do this. My resounding memory too of that whole experience was being in, I think maybe the kitchen. And then I walk around the corner before I saw you, or maybe I was walking down the hall and you were like, don't come in here. And I was like, what? <laughs> so I, was I embarrassed. mean, obviously the second you say, don't come in here, I'm like, uh, I'm definitely going to come in here and see what the heck is going on. And then when I saw what you were doing, I was like, what were you thinking? <laughs> but it was funny because our friend, one of the neighbors that came over, his name's Clark, he was like, there's a lesson in this. Oh, he's like uber spiritual guy. <laughs> like I could just see it on his face. He just got totally like quiet and serious. He's like, there's a very important lesson in this. Yes. Like totally changed it into this spiritual thought. He's like, we're going to share this in our our men's group, our church group. Yeah, it was super, it was awesome. It was funny. I want you to shed the shame on this. Like, don't feel bad about asking for help. We are not meant to do all of these things alone. We're meant to help each other and serve each other. And before the Industrial Revolution, this is how families worked. They all worked together. They helped each other. Women helped each other raise each other's kids. And don't feel shame if you, not if, when, when you need to ask for help, just ask for it. And when people offer it, accept it with joy and with gratitude. And then also see those relationships blossom. It's so cool. It's such a great aftermath of allowing people to help you. So the two S's, number one, simplify. Okay, we are all taking on too much. We're all saying yes to too many things. We're all trying to squeeze it all in. And for what? Like, there's so many things that we do that we really don't need to do. And I think we've talked about this on the podcast before. I know I did a reel on it recently, but I hear people say so many times like, oh, I have to do this. I have to X, Y, Z. And it's like, no, you actually don't have to do hardly anything in life. You are choosing to do whatever is on your list. So look at your list. This is how I like to, this, this is my way of doing this. It doesn't need to be your way, but if you need a suggestion, this is what I do. First thing in the morning, I brain dump. I write everything down. And it that includes if there's something in the back of my mind that I'm like, well, I need to do this in the next six weeks, but it's bugging me. I write it down. I write it all down. And then I put dots next to the things that have to happen today. And I make those into little check boxes. And then next to the boxes, I once I have my boxes of like, okay, these are the things that if I don't do these today, then then I'm in trouble. I go through those and I, I try to keep that to like under five. And then I number those and I'm like, okay, if of all these things, what's the very most important thing? And I put a number one there and then two, three, so on. So that I, it's very easy for me to see all the things and then feel like, okay, got it all out of my head. And I know that number one, I got to start here. And then once I knock that out, then I can do this. And and sometimes I feel like the Holy Ghost helps me to figure out what is actually more important than what I thought once I brain dump. But I think that simplifying is one of the most powerful things we can do in life to just be happy. Because there's, I think that Satan loves to distract us. I think he loves for us to feel like the things that are least important are the most important. If you kind of inventory your life. You write down the things that you feel like you need to do. Or another really great practice is actually auditing what you're doing with your time. I did that a couple of weeks ago and it was just like eye-opening 
to me to see every 15 minutes during my workday what I was actually doing and spending time doing. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm like a puppy, like from one thing to another thing to another. And there were so many unnecessary things that I was spending time doing. So again, if you're feeling like I'm so overloaded and I don't even know where to start, audit your time or write down your list and then just eliminate. Literally go through and say, actually, I don't have to do this. Actually, it's going to be just fine if I buy this thing instead of home make it for this event. And actually, we can skip out on that thing. And actually, I think this could happen next week. Just start simplifying your life. And that is going to really help with avoiding burnout. The last thing, set boundaries. That's the last S is set some boundaries because you're probably burned out because you're saying yes to too many things or you are allowing other people to dictate how you're spending your time. And here's some examples of that. DMs, text messages, emails, all of those are someone else's agenda for you. And I'm looking at you. You're the worst at this. If someone texts Neil, he like can't, it's like coal and, or not coal, what's like a hot, yeah, like a hot coal sitting in your hand. Like you can't handle it and you have to like respond immediately. And I'm trying to always remind Neil like, no, it's okay. We're in the middle of family dinner. Like this person can wait. service. No, no. It's just something I learned that I can't handle the little icon. There's a little alert thing that's red and I can't handle having that. Red. But is that actually always the most important no, thing? No, it's not. But okay. I just need to like not freak out. I just can't handle the notifications. But boundaries, do you really want your whole life ran by other people's demands of your time? No. Boundaries, setting boundaries and saying, okay, when I'm doing this activity, my phone is on a counter somewhere else. Or when I, I, I mean, that's another thing that I love about the temple is the temple has boundaries on like, if you come in here, like you're not allowed to bring your cell phone in and sit and scroll. Like you have to leave that in the locker. And I mean, I've never seen anyone scrolling on their phone in the temple. Maybe, maybe it's happened before, but I think they would tell you to put it away because the boundaries keep that place a sacred, holy, quiet, distraction-free place. And to me, that is one of the most special things about being there is like truly unplugging from the world and being like, Whatever happens out there in the next hour and a half, it's all going to be okay. And I'm just going to completely unplug and let the text messages just sit and any of the other notifications. I love that the temple, our temple, has great boundaries around, like, if you enter here and you're coming in, then, then these are our boundaries. These are our rules. I think we can set those same things up in our homes, on our date nights, in our relationships with our kids, at dinner time, whatever, setting up some boundaries of, okay, after this time, I am done working. Like I'm not going to work after X PM, whatever time. Or for me, I had to set like a super hard boundary with Sundays because Sundays were my catch-up days. Like I was like, okay, I'm going to set myself up for success for the week and catch up on all my emails, get get to inbox zero, and plan everything out. And the next thing I knew, this was probably like maybe two or three years into working for myself, for Mintero, I realized that I was working more on Sundays than any other day of the week. Because it was kind of just this like hangout all day, day where time got away from me. And I was like, I'm doing the opposite of what I want to do on Sunday, which is rest and connect and spend time with my family. 
So I I had to draw a really hard boundary where I was like, nope, no more. No work at all on Sundays. And it has been so freeing to me. And even yesterday, I my oldest daughter wanted to watch my favorite movie, Little Women. So I sat down to watch it with her. And about halfway through the movie, I got kind of this itch like, ooh, I should probably be doing, so- I'm probably like blowing off something that I need to do. There's probably something that like actually really needs to be done because it's just this like incessant, I don't know, voice in the back of my head of like, you should be doing something. You should be getting something done. You should be productive. And then I just shut it down. I was like, no, today is my day of rest. This is quality time sitting here with my daughter. This is what I am choosing to do intentionally. So I'm, this is my boundary. This is what I do on Sundays. And it's okay to let all the other things go. We'll get to it tomorrow. So wherever you need those boundaries to be a human, to be a real person, and to not just be a robot that's just getting things done all day, every day, set up those boundaries, be in places where you can fully recharge, unplug, recharge, and get back to who you are at the root, which is not just a taskmaster. It is a person who has feelings and who has a spiritual connection with your higher power. So make sure that you're, you have healthy boundaries in place that allow you to be a real person. Lastly, I always like to end with a spiritual Twinkie from this one's from Jesus. Matthew 6, 33, Jesus told us, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. So put God first. If you can't remember anything else from this episode, most important message, put God first and everything else will fall into place. He will multiply the rest of your time, put him first and you'll get everything else done. Thanks so much for listening to Mint Arrow Messages. We're so grateful that you spent time with us today. Make sure you go follow us at Corinne Stoko or at Mint Arrow Messages on Instagram. And then if you have a second and you love the show, I would love it so much if you'd leave a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. That's the only way people can find out about us if they haven't heard about us before. So just go tap the stars, leave a rating or a review. If you have a second, we would appreciate it so much. 